Hello, I'm your host, Jim McLean. Welcome to the latest edition of the Bandaflix podcast, once again recorded here at the Odeon Belfast. Joining me this week is local filmmaker Jim McMorrow. Hello, Jim. This is weird. This is a, a, a podcast of two Jims. Yeah. Just, just Jim, Jim 2.0. How do we, I mean, how do we differentiate? I'll be Jim 1, you be Jim 2. How do you get to be Jim 1? Am I older? Yeah, but but not by much. That's all right then. Older means I'm more worthy, and I've right. lived through more Jim. So there you go. So I'm Jim, and you're Jim Mark too. So uh, this week we're going to be talking a little bit of movie news. You were down at Film Devour Short Film Festival, so mm-hmm. we'll be talking a wee bit about that. And then we'll also be reviewing it, Chapter Two. We're going to be talking about it a bit spoilerifically. So if you haven't seen it, you might not want to listen to that just yet. So without any further ado, let's get on to part one of the podcast. Well, what about you, muckers? Welcome to part one. Jim, we're going to start with a bit of movie news, and I just saw this as it was coming in. Apparently, we're getting the remake that we all wanted, the remake of Face Off, John Woo's Face Off. You know, who <laughs> who ever thought we needed a remake of that? Well, it's it's proposed, anyway, it's supposedly happening, but, you know, is this a case, is Hollywood now officially dead when we're just remaking Face Off? Do you know, I'm... It would have it would not have been up there on my list of potential remakes. I kind of, you know, didn't we say all we needed to say? Yeah, the first face off? it's up there with things that you never thought you needed, like the proposed sequel to It's a Wonderful Life, or I think it was either proposed well, that sequel. Happened, didn't it? The, 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 and uh, um, Zuzu was the only recurring cast member, if I remember correctly. Okay, maybe that has happened, and I've blanked that it. Has I happened. know there's a supposed possibly remake or another one at least happening. That they've, they've tried to talk about for a while, you know those things that you really need. Don't forget about the colorization. Which oh, is we don't, that, that never happened. That never happened. But you know what is it? Because I, I am bringing this in for a point that we will come back to about a, a remake that you were supposedly <laughs> excited about, and then I from day one was like, no, there's no point. We don't need a remake to. It. But that's that's irrelevant. But what do you think we can gain from a remake of Face Off? Um, can you think of you know, any positives? I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking. I know I'm quiet, but it's because I'm really racking my brain. Um, I don't. This is the the, the interesting thing. You know, my late mother's favorite film mm-hmm. was Face Off. Don't ask me why. You know, she but she loved that movie and was totally taken in by the story as a real possibility. You know, mm-hmm. and just completely fell in love with the movie and it has that sort of ability you know it, the the original version well, the only version but the the 1995 version john wee version it's definitely 90s when you i rewatched recently because i know the belfast film festival had yeah. cage i think it was cage around or the right, cage yeah, fest yeah. I couldn't go because we were doggy sitting, so we had our own at home, my lovely wife and i <laughs> had a nick cage marathon we did face off we did the rock I can't remember what was the other one we did. I know we finished with Mandy because Mandy was oh, my yes. pick, and I know my lovely wife absolutely detests that film. She's just like at eleven o'clock on a Saturday night. Why am I watching this? And needless to say, we'll not be watching Mandy again in her company. I love the film, but say no more. Oh. But we watched Face Off, and rewatching it, I forgot how much fun it was. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think I feel like it's just you know it's preposterous, but it is just perfect John Wee mm-hmm. mo- movie making in that you have everything you have you know two-handed gunfights and you have the doves and you have the slow-mo and you have the 
ludicrous action sequences and it's played perfectly mm. by Travolta and Cage you know who could out who could out mm. Nicolas Cage Nicolas Cage John Travolta and I love in that film when you watch it it's like Nick Cage is trying to hold it in yeah because he's John Travolta and Nick Cage is just or sorry John Travolta John Travolta is just going out there as as you say it's beyond the wicker man of Nick Cage no absolutely totally and the thing is because it's so unashamedly you know fun it doesn't date as a result mm. you know the action sequences are still the action sequences the fun still the fun the comedy still the comedy i don't really see what you would gain from a remake you know if you want to give john woo a few millions of dollars to make an action movie i'm on board but you know it can be remake the killer remake you know something else just you know leave face off alone now you say remake something else jim a couple of months oh, here ago yourself i'm nearly certain not to to drag other local filmmakers into this pretty certain it was a group kind of chat between yourself was it leo mcguigan correct Ian Largy might be clear in this one, but you were getting rather excited. Well, I know about... where this is going, but Ian Largy hasn't seen the original, yes. so okay. Well, that's on his. That's on his. That's his. His card marked. But you got rather excited that Bloomhouse were remaking Black Christmas. Now we've already had a remake of Black Christmas, which is pretty terrible. Finally, there. I think earlier this week we got the trailer. And I seen your comments on Facebook, and I've never sat there in <laughs> in such a long time, sat and going so smugly, going, "What did I tell you? We don't need a remake." And this just looks terrible. This looks like they're trying to do Black Christmas, but with Scream. It, it to me, it doesn't even look that good. No, the, the the I was the thing is to me, you know, Bloomhouse, they are the horror studio at the minute. I I think you know I know you might disagree but i think the halloween 2018 version was at least an admirable attempt yeah yeah i'll give you it was an admirable whether you liked it or not it paid enough homage the original and moved the story forward and i was kind of hoping okay black christmas maybe this is the chance they're going to bring back you know a good suspenseful dark horror film and the trailer hit and i my first thought my instantaneous thought was, oh my god, it's the remake of Prom Night, which was a remake in name only for a start. Mm-hmm. Uh, just threw away the concept and threw away anything of merit. And I sat there watching the trailer going, wait a minute, where's Billy? Mm-hmm. Where's, uh, you know, the house? Where's the claustrophobia? Where's the darkness? This is just, you know, Charlie's Angels horror <laughs> film. It's uh, It looks so do you, bad. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like someone has remade the terrible remake oh absolutely i totally agree yeah, but yeah. even tr- even lost what that was all about yeah because i because i rewatched the, the remake at, at christmas and i was going okay this is diabolical and it's not a parts in the original but you know what time has passed yeah i can let it go and i kind of treated it as a bit of a fun mm. experience although it's still not good but give me the remake mm. and give me black xmas over this new version any day. I know it isn't out yet, but you know, I I feel like it's already been decided. Yeah, I like I I just I I hold the original in such high esteem, and it's not because I came to it before Halloween. It's when you read and you look into things and you see the, like what were the films that influenced the likes of of Halloween, which is just this horror masterpiece. 
and Carpenter himself almost has, has admitted that, you know, he looked at Halloween and seen what they did, seen the POV stuff, which is nowhere done to the same level as it's done in Halloween. But there's a nastiness, nastiness about the first one. We screened it. It was one of the first times we did an alternative Christmas movie. I think we're going to bring it back this year. I don't know whether please we're going to do, do Black Christmas because there might be problems with, with rights and stuff. That tends to happen when things are, are re-released. But when watching it even with an audience, there's aspects of it have dated. There's aspects of the of the dialogue have dated. I still think it's one of my favorite Margot Kidder performances because oh, yeah. she just goes full drunken sorority girl to to she takes it to she goes to Nick Cage levels <laughs> in terms. Of, that's that's the way this podcast will be read. The turtle scene. That's the way that this podcast will be rated for the rest of this. <laughs> All performances. She goes full Nick Cage in that yeah. that sense of this this drunken. Prom, not prom queen, um, sorority girl, and I and I love it. I I genuinely nice. love it. I think there's a there's a nastier edge to Halloween than even sorry. There's a nastier edge to Black Christmas than even Halloween. No, I would I would agree. And you know, I was just it, it's funny. I was thinking there um, as you were talking about uh, Kim Newman's review of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, where it says <laughs> that. Uh, um, not only does Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 feel like it's made by someone who didn't make the original it feels like someone who's never even seen the original and you know you were talking there about things that have dated from Black mm-hmm. Christmas there's things in there that are absolutely modern 45 mm-hmm. years later now you know you think about the, clearly this new one is trying to sort of appeal to sort of female empowerment and you have you know image inputs and so forth kind of stand back against these frat boys evidently who seem to be the antagonists um but the original black christmas has olivia hussey basically on under the thumb of a man who's saying well you're pregnant we're getting married we're Mm -hmm. gonna go live in a house you're gonna do this i'm gonna do that and she stands up and says no 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 this is my body this is my choice I am going to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't want to marry you. That's as relevant back in 1974 yeah. as it is today. So you know, you want to talk about modernism? It's all still. It's all still there. You know, female empowerment in that movie is all still there. What's the point in just sort of making it more overt? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's. I haven't watched it since we screened it a couple of years ago, and. It was great seeing it on the big screen. And the thing that stays with me, and you can kind of think, you think of, you can probably make a, a connection to the likes of Scream because the phone calls are such a big mm-hmm. part of Black Christmas, and they're of course a big part of Scream. But the phone calls in the original Black Christmas are it's, terrifying. Sergey, my, my girlfriend Sergey, hasn't seen it, and I think I think it was last Christmas. Uh, I tend to do like an alternative Christmas mm-hmm. movie night in my apartment and Morgan McGoldrick comes and Ian Laurie comes and Liam Gregan comes and Sarah Jane was there for her inaugural Christmas okay. Eve uh, thing and we put on Black Christmas and the first phone call hit and I think Margaret and Sarah Jane like turn it off, can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen a movie in quite some time that's made the two of them say, no, 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 too much, too far, you know. That shows you how terrifying it still is. My sister still won't sleep in her house alone because of that movie. Well, I was going to say possibly the remake might be that bad. It might be like, no, just just turn it off. <laughs> just I don't want to watch it. And we'll pay to see it in the cinema, but say no more. Look, we'll have. To, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. It could be good. I'm not getting 
great maybe impression. it's like godzilla where like they just they make you think one thing with the trailer and then sucker punch you with another what as in, the, on, la- Jason as in the latest godzilla i think you're going to get a great film and end up getting a great big steaming turd oh i meant the the, the gareth edwards yeah. one where it's kind of uh godzilla is destroying cities but then it turns out godzilla's uh natural protector yeah that's the way it is that's the way it should be i quite like gareth edwards um, oh, me too, great. I, I quite liked his godzilla i wouldn't have a bad thing said about it on the note of horror because as we always say with the time we have the tv have you on the tv show anytime we have you on the pod we also saw the trailer something that has grabbed me is the light keeper okay. the light keepers which is the latest film from the director of the witch mm-hmm. have you seen the new trailer for i it? have indeed yet i am so on board for this really i am so on board for this now what were you a fan of The Witch? I was a fan of The Witch to a certain extent. Um, Is it the oldie language put you off? No, not, no, not at all. I'm an English student. I know this stuff. Um, no, to me, um, I feel like the, the Witch was really good. I think, though, it's just, it's, how do I put this? It kind of feels like uh, the director using the genre of horror, mm-hmm. not to its full extent. Okay. Almost almost slightly assumed to be considered a horror film so it has to kind of be more artistic okay um and there's certain things about lighthouse the lightkeepers that kind of ring my bell a little bit in but it's got william defoe i'm gonna watch william William defoe in anything he has he has done antichrist you know and and it's got batman yeah it has batman now but i just saw robert pattinson's variety review and i have to say He's not. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm very confident he'll make a good Batman, and I have every hope he certainly will look the part. But he didn't come across in Variety as someone who's willing to sort of who, who I think he's just so categorically, you know, trying to get away from being Edward Cullen in Twilight mm. that he's willing to do anything that's that he considers an an art form because he doesn't want to be that preppy poster guy anymore and there's something about the 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 trailer with him and Willem Dafoe where I'm just like oh this might be one of the it's shot in 4-3 in black and white it seems all willingly, things that make me wet my lips see I don't I, I feel like it's it's if do you, you're like, willing, do, you not, do you like watching this I love watching stuff now in 4 by 3 like mid 90s was shot 4 by 3 yeah I still have more that yet though but it's it's not that I'm opposed to four by three. If it's done right, it you know aspect ratios or aspect ratios. You know when they're done right, they're done right. But there's something, you know, as I say, my alarm bells ring when I see it because like, oh, please don't be pretentious. Please of course, don't it's be. gonna be pretentious. Of course, it is. I I just think there's something about the witch. I I've always said this, and I've talked to you about this before. As much as I love a cheap and nasty slasher movie that is just kind of nuts and bolts and knows what it's doing. I love something that gets under your skin, crawls under, well, the better way of putting it is, crawls under your skin and stays there. The Witch did that for me, because The Witch, it doesn't give you all the easy answers. There's certain ambiguity about stuff. There's the sequence with Black Phillip. Never have I been so terrified by a goat. (laughs) And there's a sequence where, I I think we're going to talk about it. I know we're going to be talking about it in spoilerific detail, but... There's a sequence with that goat near the end of that film where the goat speaks (laughs) and never has someone timed it so perfectly. It's not like, I mean, someone speaks to this goat 
and there's an instant response. There's this kind of delay and you think, oh, it's all been mumbo jumbo. And then you hear this voice and I, I just remember just getting this shudder. And that's what that's what I love. That's that's what I love about the horror genre. I I always get annoyed when people think it's nothing more than Jason Voorhees, you know, Fred, Freddy Krueger, Mike Myers. Not that I Mike Myers, not Mike Myers from Austin Powers, <laughs> Michael Myers. Not that I have a problem with those, but I think there is more to that. And right. I I love The Witch. I'm intrigued more than anything how audiences will react to it. Because I think this time it's not being sold. Like The Witch was sold as something like Annabelle, something like from the Conjuring universe. Yeah. This isn't. So I'm intrigued. I don't know if it's going to get released here at the Odeon. It might not get released at the movie house. It might find its home at the likes of the QFT. That's the, where you'd expect to see yeah, this absolutely. film. Where I see you'd get a respectful audience. Because I have to be And I know actually on that note of Facebook, and I seen your post a couple of weeks ago about having to endure cinema audiences. Mm-hmm. The last couple of weeks, I've had to endure some of the worst, worst behavior. On the last podcast, we were talking about this. We went to see scary stories to tell in the dark. I had it wasn't a bad audience, but it was an audience that weren't engaged when I saw it. Chapter two. I know you said the same in the TV show. So I'm just intrigued as to how audiences are going to be. If it is, if it is going to find its home at somewhere like here, somewhere like the movie house. A mainstream audience who think when they see it's a horror movie, they think they're going to get something like Annabelle. I know, and I'm. It is not me being pretentious from just watching those trailers, from knowing the director now more than I did when I went the first time round. This is this is not going to be a conjuring film. Oh God, no! I mean, I think it's one of those things. If you want quiet, quiet bang, you're no. The witch was never that. I just kind of feel like, for me personally, as a fan of the genre there's room to be artistic hmm. and entertaining yeah, I, um, yeah okay, and maybe yeah. maybe that's what it is it's like the witch kind of never crossed over okay. into entertaining for me the exorcist mm. is artistic and entertaining halloween to me is artistic and entertaining uh the exorcist no sorry halloween three is entertaining and ambitious that's very true yeah yeah, and it's not even me being smug or being trying to be nope. funny. I actually do have a lot of love for Halloween three. I, I, think. I think it's I, it's got probably one of the best monologues in any of the Halloween movies. We'll not we'll not go down a Halloween kind of pitfall, and we'll end up talking for all all, all, <laughs> all for the whole hour and that. But no, Halloween three. I think it's a film that is vastly underrated, as is The Exorcist three as well. I think Absolutely, two totally right. very underrated films. And I Did you see of, the Legion cut? Yeah. Uh, we tried to get a screening off it, but we couldn't get it organized. Because wow. we tried to get a screening off it and trying to get Mark Kermode over. Wow. Because he was responsible for finding some of the, the footage. Yeah. The footage. It's a we- it, it is weird watching the Legion cut because we kind of said at the time, audiences might struggle because there's parts of it I think are, from memory from when I watch it, is either it's a, it's a mix of dailies and I it's think a mix it's a, of it's a mix of video tap as well yeah. if I'm not mistaken and it's a case some of it's just not up to proper finished quality and I think you maybe need someone like a Mark Kermode who's is a draw in his own right to be able to then put those into context either in a pre-discussion pre-screening pardon me either in a pre-screening discussion or post-screening discussion uh, I I love it. I I do think it's a much much better film. Um, you know the the original Exorcist is a very flawed piece of cinema by studio Tinker and not by William Peter Blatty. Um, and if you've watched that, if you want that, my rep, then go watch the Ninth Configuration. But but look, I feel we're just going to get down and talking about different horror films, Jim. 
let's not go down that caveat. Let's bring it back and bring it back locally. I know you were at Film Devour Short Film Festival. Unfortunately, this time I couldn't attend. So it gives a bit of lowdown. What were some of the films that were there and what were the films that won the, the big awards in the night? All right. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, as usual, Film Devour uh, standard was exceptionally high. Mm-hmm. The films just seemed to be getting, you know, outclassing themselves in terms of quality and versatility, which is Mm -hmm. always fantastic to see. Uh, The Director's Choice Award, uh, the name of it escapes me, but it was a a Southern animation film, I think Enda or something like that there, which was my choice for audience choice. I thought it was... Had you anything in this time? No, no. Not even, I knew not as a director, but were you in there and producer? I was there as a a composer on on one of them, uh, No Peaking by Peter O'Hara. But uh, yeah, so, but the the Southern animation I thought was absolutely fantastic. Uh, You know, really ambitious, great animation and uh, you know, a very, very deserved winner, I think. Um, really funny. The uh, Audience Choice Award was uh, more of a music video. Um, it was like a student effort uh, called Walking Home. And it was a story, a love story between a boy and girl uh, and an interfering father set to um, Dancing in the Moonlight by Finn Lizzy. Okay. And who doesn't want to hear Finn Lizzy? I'm on board for that. Yeah, um, it was really well made. Some of the the other highlights, the audience really went wild for a short film called Blood Spaghetti. Okay, uh, it you know had rapturous uh, amounts of laughter. Okay. Uh, there was a short horror film called Blood Debt, which uh, kind of a found footage thing, which I thought was very entertaining. Uh, had um, definitely had the scores mm-hmm. in there, and uh, I think it'd be great to see. You know, I think it was directed by Thomas Smith, so I wouldn't mind bend his ear sometime about genre movies. That all sounds good, Jim. And one of the things I noted there that Film Devour now has a new sponsor as Correct. well. Correct, yeah, that's right. Which I think is great. I think it's Amazing. great help for for Brian and Kareen and helping to kind of push the festival. I know there's more than the team than just Brian and Kareen, but um, help push forward. Uh, no, and it's an it's an amazing opportunity. I think that uh, you know. Film Devar, you know, I've said this before. Brian Mahon, he's he to me, he's the Terry Hooley of mm. uh, indie film. He's gonna film love Northern that. Ireland. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. I was gonna say that to his face recently, but I kind of didn't know how he'd take it. So I'm glad. Well, Brian. Um, but what Brian has done, you know, uh, he's just put filmmakers with creative visions in a room together. The networking possibilities mm-hmm. are absolutely endless. It's an amazing festival. It's a great place to get your name out there. Uh, but now having NI Camera Hire, mm-hmm. uh, you know, involved just means that the next plant, you know, the next yeah. plateau gets reached all that better. And I know Brian, you know, is going to love that because that's what he's all about. Yeah, I think it it just makes it it just helps the sustainability of it all because putting on those nights aren't they aren't cheap in terms of because I, I mean we've booked the the black box before. And it just allows you that sense of help, that that kind of help to to grow and develop. Not that Devar needs much help to grow and develop. It's it's established. It's there. But it's great to see now that it's getting some recognition because I know they've had sponsorship in the past. But it, I think it just helps it because I'm I'm a huge fan of Devar. I think it's one of the most. It's in terms of as a film as someone who's not a filmmaker, but I think there must be a a, a great degree of democracy about it all because it's that. 
you're only there. It's, you've only got the audience in front of you. If you're making a horror film, if it's not scary, you're going to feel every 15 minutes when that's the, the top it can be. But if you've got a 15-minute horror film that's working, it must be the best Absolutely. 15 minutes. If it's, you know, the same regard with comedy, with a thriller... If it's working, it must be the best 15 minutes no, up there. But if it's not, it must be the longest 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> That's very true. Mm. No, the, the the great thing I've always found about Devar um, is that, you know, Brian doesn't impose any of his own mm. tastes in his selection. You know, uh, I feel, I, I feel I, you know, he's never said this, but I feel like he feels as if you have warranted enough mm. to tell that story. He feels it's warranted enough to play it. And there's not a lot of, in my experience as a local filmmaker, there's not a lot of festivals that I can say that for. And I think it's an absolutely admirable trait. And it's, you know, it's free. So Mm -hmm. those, you know, no budget movies that might be pure cinema and might really, really impress you, get a big screen to play them on, get a canvas for everybody to see it. And, you know, my hats are off to him always. Yeah, I completely agree. And on that note, we shall move on to part two of the podcast. So guys, welcome to part two. Now this is the bit where, you know, after that lovely upbeat note where we've been really nice, all about film devour, etc. This is where it might start to go downhill. From from <laughs> from one point of view anyway, I don't know. Because we're going to be talking about it chapter two. Jim, we're going to play a short clip of the film just before we get into discussing it. So kind of, I know we've got you to do this in the TV show. Set us up before we play the clip. Okay, well, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about it chapter two which is the second and final part of the Losers' epic battle with Pennywise back back in their hometown after 27 years. Okay, let's play a clip of the film. It's starting again. You need to come home. Wow, you two look amazing. What happened to me? Close your eyes. You don't believe. Close them and see. Please. It, chapter two, rated R, September sixth. So that's clip off at chapter two. I don't want to get bogged down too much talking about chapter one. We talked about that retrospectively on last week's podcast, where Kate and Lee were really upbeat about it, and I still have my same old fart reservations about it we'll come back to that but you were a fan of it chapter one so from being so upbeat about that what's your thoughts on chapter two well you know it's funny the the further i come away from chapter two the more i'm starting to think maybe i need to check i'm going to be watching it again tomorrow and maybe it's one of those things that i need a second view because i'll be the first to admit that you know, going in with such high hopes to mm. chapter one at a midnight screening at the Odyssey, you know. And tool for those. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, and it not being perfect made me walk out of it and say, ah, oh, that wasn't that good. And then I went to see it again. I was like, actually, do you know what? Chapter one's got its merits. I'm not so sure that a second viewing of chapter two is going to really make me love it it's not going to turn my my it's not going to turn my opinion that much uh but i did go in to see it at the press screening thank you very much not a problem uh at the movie house um in lovely vip seats i think in lovely vip seats it's great 
Um, so at least you were comfy. I was very comfy and, you know, went with a really keen, you know, audience who were really, really excited to see it, uh, you know, set up really well by the movie house. Mm-hmm. It's some really great decor, a great introduction uh, from Kuna FM. And the film rolled and the opening scene played and I thought, you know what, that's not great. That didn't reach the really because I quite liked the opening I, sequence. You no, know, I did. I did like. I thought it was great. I just think that it just didn't measure. Maybe it couldn't have measured up to the storm drain scene mm. from chapter one. Maybe that's what it was. Coming in second time round, not just because it is a a sequel, but also because we've we've seen you know Pennywise the first time. So as a creation, as as a physical manifestation, he's he maybe lacks the kind of scare factor that he originally had, the shock factor. Mm-hmm. His character had that this terrifying clown with this overly cutesy, cutesy Hanna Barbera, Hanna Barbera kind of voice. Hey, Georgie, <laughs> and then just kind of doing one of the most nastiest, cruelest things ever to one of the cutest young children I've ever seen. I, I, I knew I don't think I tried to top that because mm. I don't think you can top that. But I like from again. I, I've said this before. I haven't reread the book in a long time because it reading the book is a slog. It's a big book. <laughs> It is a big book. There's no denying it. But that was one of the sequences that that stayed with me in the book. And again, it's that case of, you know, it it kind of got, almost got there to how I pictured. I know it's slight. It plays out slightly differently in the book than it does in the film. But and I don't think from memory all the the the, the balloons. No, that, that, that happens in the book. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I think could. it's from what I remember. It's. One person see there's several witnesses and one person sees the clown okay. and one person sees the balloons. Okay, so because I loved that little bit mm-hmm. and I I thought that was just a nice way to start it. And then I think it comes back to this idea that I know you have an issue with the the kind of the the come home scribbled yeah. in blood underneath the bridge. This is something you have an issue with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think that uh, you know I say the the scene itself is pretty well executed, and then it says come home written on the wall and Mike sees it and I went wait a minute that's you know the, my fan of the book brain sort of triggered and I was like that's not how it goes in the book I wonder what's going to go on with this and which leads me on to sort of my point one of my major points about the film is that it actually doesn't make sense now okay. because the whole thing in the book uh, is that Pennywise doesn't want the losers to come home uh, because he knows that he's been hurt mm-hmm. by them in the past. He knows that he's maybe vulnerable. So when they come home, he literally, in his point of view, in one of the chapters, he says that he needs to, you know, do something mm-hmm. about this, which is why he breaks out Henry Bars yep. from the mental institution and Henry Bars goes on his rampage. Now, when, he, when Pennywise actually desires the losers to come home, that a doesn't make any sense in terms of the character of Pennywise, and also totally negates the yeah, point I, of having Henry Bars in it at all. I would agree and, with you because Henry Bars is lost in this. Yeah, absolutely, and he's turned into a he, you know from being uh, an antagonist, a, a possibly you know a, a very well executed antagonist, mm-hmm. he becomes a figure of comedy. You know, and yeah, the, you strip him of any yeah. com- complexities whatsoever. He's He's as monotone as they come. You have this sequence, which comes. I'm going to come back to in in the mental asylum, which at at first is both beautiful and horrible in the sense of this one balloon hovering, which I mm-hmm. thought was perfect. Mm-hmm. And then we see a sequence where it's a, a 
terribly rendered gribbly, which is something I, I mean, I'm on record. I've had this problem with the, the previous film as well. You know, the director of this, he did Mama. I don't know what he did. Have you ever seen the short? Have you have you seen the short version of Mama, no. the original? No. Where it was done on an ultra low budget and the, the creation that is Mama is much more terrifying than when they then did it with the the film, which is, it's a serviceable horror film, Mama, but it's just let down by a terrible CGI Gribbly. I remember it before. Jonathan Cardwell said this a long time ago. He's never been scared by a CGI Gribbly. Great. And that was the case here. But then you have, with Barge, then you have this sequence where when he's broken out of prison, you then see it's like this kind of, it's like something you'd see from Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. And it's the car and it's the the skeletal remains of one of his friends from when they were Hostetter, when he was younger. Yeah. yeah. And it just looks like something from Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're totally right. And you know, one of the things that I was just thinking there your point about CGI, which mm. is so true. You know, this is a film that clearly, you know, tries to reach for the stars when it comes to creating over the top you know, nightmarish effects in the vein of Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's it, it is a very sort of uh, it almost brings an air of expressionism into the horror genre. Uh, my feeling about CGI is that when you lose your restraint of how to use CGI, it becomes pointless because mm. you know, like you think about Jurassic Park. To me, those effects still stand up mm-hmm. because they're used sparingly. Yep. They're used, uh, you know, with human reference. Out of necessity, mind. they're used. Absolutely, yeah. Because the story goes, there were certain sequences they tried to do it almost, I think it was at stop motion. Yes, right, yeah. Or, or as practically as they could. And Spielberg, I think it might have been Dean Condy, might have said, look, it's not going to work. Yeah, It's it was, just not yeah, going to, you're yeah. going to have to do it with CGI. Yeah. That's and it. there was a reluctance and a begrudging acceptance that they had to do it with CGI. And Spielberg has said, like, if we're going to do it, we're going to have to do it right. Exactly. And he took a big gamble mm-hmm. on that there. And that's why, you know, whenever you see that effect of the Tyrannosaurus Rex coming out of the paddock mm-hmm. is as good as the effects in Jurassic World is because I only have enough money and enough time mm-hmm. for 12 shots as opposed to 12,000 shots. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, I feel like because directors feel like they can do anything what that means is they do everything yeah. and you know the patrick hofstetter you know creation is just like oh god what is that that, that looks so the audience doesn't look at it and go oh my god how horrible they look at it and say oh my god how that's fake a, that's a cgi gribbling yeah that, that looks that looks so stupid and as a result you've lost your intention yeah you've lost your intention but as you say you've lost the character because he I think he only pops up two, two, three times after that. There's yeah. nothing really there. And I mean, I was, I was even thinking of the TV movie. He had more of an impact in the TV movie. And I think that might be, isn't he the character that sucked through the drain? No, no, Hofstetter. That's, Hofstetter stuck through the drain. No, no, Hofstetter. It's, um, I think it's Belch. Yes, Be- that's right. Because it's, Bel- it's, yeah, it's Belch that reappears back. to yeah. him in the TV movie. But his character had more impact to me in that than yeah. he did in this. And as you kind of said, he is kind of played as this kind of inept killer. Absolutely. And I, I even come back to one of the few things I really liked about it, chapter one was the young Henry Bars. Yeah, absolutely. And the kind of the whole thing about the bully and that sequence where he's watching the television and then it appears in the television. And then it's like, just go on, stab him, stab yeah. him. And then it's the fact that the bully's being bullied and then he stands up from... The, there was complexities there that I really liked. 
There's none of that. No, absolutely. He's he's reduced to a joke. You know, even even during one of his attack sequences yeah. of Eddie when he says, you know, you might want to get a haircut. Mullets went. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's your mullets don't work anymore. It's thirty years ago yeah. type of thing. Yeah, it's just like oh god, you know, like this. Th- there's sequ- nothing to fear here. That sequence here. was laughably bad for oh, me. Oh yeah. And it was just a case, I don't know what tone you're trying to go for. You're clearly trying to do humour. Like, mm-hmm. This is a big issue for you because you think there's far too many laughs in this yeah. film. But I mean, it was a case of, are you trying to play this for laughs? Well, that's my, that's the thing. You know, I, I feel like um, horror and comedy can work, can coexist. Yeah. You know, like Screen proved that. American Marvel London proved that. Even uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, <laughs> proved that you can do it. Uh, it's just that when you overbalance one, mm-hmm. you've lost it for a start. But then the problem is that once you play a laugh where a scare should be, it means that you, you've you've descended into scary movie territory, in my opinion. You know, and there's a there's a ridiculous... come on, it's not scary movie. It's not scary movie. That's besides the point. But like, that's but there's you, a scene. That's just you with a bit of bitterness but here, Jim. That's true. Maybe, maybe. But there, but it, but like, I stand by my statement in that I did on uh, in the written review. Mm. The scene when Eddie and Richie open the door and there's a cute dog standing there while Pennywise is you know mm. coming up a tunnel chasing them. You should be feeling the urgency of that. That should mm. be Pennywise is coming. Get through the door. He's gonna kill you. He's gonna kill you. And what you get is they open the door and there's a tiny dog and they're like, "Do something! Fuck off!" Yeah, yeah. And they play it for laughs. You're half expecting Leslie Nielsen to pop out Jim, and say, "I something. did laugh. I have to admit at that oh, sequence." God, no. Not on a kind of not on a full chuckle, but just in a kind of okay. You just for the I suppose the ludicrousy of it all made me chuckle a little bit. I just I no it just, it didn't work for me and like the whole um call me angel in the morning scene when the leper kind of vomits on Eddie I just was like, what are you what movie are you trying to make here you know like because like whether you whether you like it or not you know the the it book is the one of the most iconic horror novels mm. of our time you know it's it's a classic in its own right the TV movie hasn't aged incredibly well no but i would argue that many of the scenes with the ridiculous stop motion animation spider look almost as ridiculous as some of the scenes in a chapter two well funny you i know i've mentioned the tv series the sequence from the chinese restaurant mm-hmm. now you've clearly reread the book i that's not in the f- book no it is yeah oh is it i i wasn't sure because i i I from really i think they went for lunch i didn't know they went for dinner was that kind of no they they go for they do go for lunch that's true um but it's like uh if i remember correctly mike kind of brings them all together there and then there's not that they have to go out and collect a token of their past it's that they have to go out and reconnect with the town and that's when kind of the events of it chapter one yeah take place which is a great you know yeah. structure yeah again and now in a chapter two you don't need it you don't need them yeah. to go back into the time we've seen a chapter yeah it's, it comes reason. it comes back to show me don't tell me in this case of it doesn't give audiences a lot of credence for their intelligence that's Absolutely. like totally right. it's like the, the case of it's like you're hammering home this is the adult version of mike this is the adult version of eddie this is the etc 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 
and it does it twice at the start of the film. It does it like at the start, you get this kind of monologue. It's almost like this is who they are now, and you kind of have to accept that you're going to get that. But then once they're in there, as you say, they have to then go and get these tokens. It then goes back, and as you said on the TV show, whether it makes the cut or not, it serves up another attempt at another scare, which is kind of weird because at the start of it, they contextualize it all by saying that it some of these events happened after they confronted yeah. it, which it's it's just confuddled. It's messy. I, I said it on the TV show again. I don't know if it'll make the cut. It just didn't feel like a well thought out sequel. It yeah. doesn't. It, it almost feels like they've done it chapter one and it's standalone. And this, when I watch this, when I watch this at the cinema, at the Omnimax on a big screen with an audience that was, some of them were engaged, some of them clearly were bored. The guy beside me Spent most of the night on his phone. I don't know who he was texting, but he clearly wasn't interested in the film. This felt more like a big budget adaptation of the miniseries rather than the book, because it you could have easily walked into this having never seen it chapter one. Because you see, you've got the young, yeah, yeah. you've got the younger half, you've got the older half, and it's a really good way to look at it. Actually, you're totally right. Yeah, and, and it's just and it's just a case. It doesn't feel. I think I made this. I think I made this point. It doesn't feel like a, a sequel in the sense that a sequel should should not should pick up after, not just kind of retread and go back over again. Because that's that's literally what it does. Like it's, I couldn't imagine anything worse. I was thinking about this when I was watch watching it on Thursday, because I went to they, they did a double bill, but I only paid to go see it chapter two because I'm tight, <laughs> and I was like, if I had paid to watch it chapter one. And then sat through this again, where you then you've literally watched two and two two and a half hours, I think is it the, yeah. f- the first one to spend then a good hour of it going back over what you've just sat and watched. I would be getting grumpy. Yeah, it's a to, to me. It's just occurred to me now. Now, remember when uh, Wes Craven's original version of Hills Have Eyes Part mm-hmm. Two came out, and they ran out of money prior <laughs> to in the budget, so everybody gets a flashback, even the dog gets yeah. a flashback. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like that. Only they haven't reused the footage; they've just shot new footage. Yeah. And and I'm wondering, you know, if someone uh, if someone goes to see us who hasn't read, the, I have for, apart from Sergi and I haven't met anybody that has gone to see this that hasn't read mm-hmm. the book yet. And uh, I think that would be an interesting thing because what I want to know is that, like, am I am I bringing my experiences of the book? into the movie and going well that doesn't make sense mm. that doesn't gel with this you know and i, I think it's the, true what you say about henry bars it doesn't yeah, make sense yeah. as to why he he really brings him back yeah uh, it, it it is a good point it's something i hadn't really thought of i just kind of really took it as the fact that they just didn't know what to do i feel like it's, it's just kind of, to me it kind of feels as if what they've they've done is they've taken the book and went well, we like this, we like this, yeah. we don't like this, we don't like this. Well, this, this is what they did. Like this, this is my grievance with it, chapter one. This is what they did, and this is what they're paying for now. Mm-hmm. They took with it, chapter one, they cherry-picked everything that they said, right, this is what we will deal with. What does the people love about it? It's a group of kids, and they're going up against a monster, and we'll s- s- put it as a version of The Goonies. And we've kind of had horrific films inspired by The Goonies. We think of The Lost Boys. That's on, on that vein. But they cherry-picked it and they said, right, we're not going to reference anything about the ritual of Chud. Not going to do anything about that. We're not going to really try and explore what it is. We're not going to try and set up anything at all other than we have a start, a middle, and an end for it, chapter one. Oh, by the way, we're going to have a chapter two. And 
it's it's just my point. I was kind of rambly saying before. It doesn't feel like a true sequel because now you've got all this stuff. You've got the the ritual of Chud. You've got to explain. You've got to set that up. What it what it's all about. You have the passing over to the older cast as as opposed to the younger cast, and the film clearly as 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 much of a star power as it has with you know James McAvoy, uh, Jessica Chastain, and Bill Hader being some of the big names. Or if you're a uh, Neighbours fan, you've got isn't it Jay Ryan from mm. from that. They don't seem to have enough confidence that viewers who loved it chapter one are then going to pass on this love to the older. And that's why you keep getting these callbacks to the younger cast members. And it it, it then made me think either A, one of the things, I kind of want to go back and watch it chapter one again, from watch, which you shouldn't be doing when you're watching it chapter yeah, two. And then the thing is then, is it a case that the performances, which I have a problem with, are so underwhelming? That they feel that it's like, well, if we ramp up the nostalgia for the, the younger cast, maybe you'll get more on board. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, I said this uh, in on the TV show, and it's something that I totally agree with. Um, filmmaking is fashion. Mm. And when you get Stranger Things, that's, you know, we, we had Super 8 before that, which yep. I would say is always the precursor to Stranger mm-hmm. Things. It just didn't hit yep. the audience as much. Um but Stranger Things kicked off this whole wave of nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, for you know the 80s and that is absolutely prevalent in it chapter one and it feels like the money people said right okay you know we have made such a return on it chapter one we're going to hit them with the sequel now what did people love about it chapter one they loved the kids they loved the nostalgia they loved the 80s references so let's give them that. How do we bring it in yeah. uh, to it to the adult story? And as a result, for people like me who wanted to see a sequel to mm-hmm. it, chapter one, we didn't get it. For those of us who wanted to see a sort of uh, faithful homage to the book, we didn't get it. And even for those of those people who might have wanted to see a rehash of it, chapter one, they still didn't mm-hmm. get it because you're lumbered then with you know performances by you know who should have been a stellar cast who as you say phoned it in james mcavoy is so monotone in this and i i don't get it because we've seen him play okay (coughs) it's a weird one to bring in he's played a similar character in one of the incarnations in split that reminds me so much of of his his adult portrayal of bill but he's so bored and he's meant to be the one that inspires him that leads them and he's as dull as dishwater. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Um, although saying that, there's a couple of sequences I quite liked about yeah. him. And I like the fact that he's someone as a character, this this guilt, this survivor's guilt of that has held over him for years with the death of Georgie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weird way in which it's kind of resolved, but I quite like it yeah i mean that's the thing the i don't want to be totally negative about the movie because there are definitely individual sequences that works that works sorry the character you know and the heart of the movie is all there yeah and it's all very much intact i didn't uh really get on board with stanley killing himself uh i thought you know him kill himself in the book out of sheer terror because he is all deadly was you know do you know more you mentioned stanley one of the things i did love about this <coughs> and again i come back to it's the tv series i've rewatched, the book i haven't read in long because the book i read 
you know, I, I don't know how old I was. I read Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park and it around the same because they were in around about they were out. Well, for me, they became accessible about around the same time. And I remember being so proud like Michael Crichton's book for Jurassic Park is a big book. It's nothing compared to it or any of <laughs> or like they try reading. the. I think I tried reading the stand and give up on it. You know, it's it's a there is I keep I keep I know I said this to you when you said I'd seen it when, when I told you I'd seen it. You text me, what do you think? And I said, I think it's an admirable attempt to deal with some of the clunkier sides of King's novel mm-hmm. and trying its best to get it over in that world that in the first film it didn't do anything. I, I, I still have problems with it, but, uh, you know, coming back to Stanley, I liked that he wasn't lost within this story. I mean, I, th- I, I think, you know, we're in spoiler territory. There's a letter that's sent to everyone and it's a bit cheesy and it's a bit kind of that attempt that even it reminded me actually of the the closing of season three of stranger things yeah you kind of go well at what point did you get the chance to sit and read write this letter and then have it conveniently be found in this case posted just before you kind of decided to commit suicide it is there to kind of force an emotional response out of the viewer more than anything else but i quite like the fact that throughout the film well it's chapter two the character stanley wasn't lost which i think he was very much so in the TV adaptation. In the second part of the TV adaptation, mm-hmm. you know, he's there. Well, he has his one appearance that we Is see. Yeah, we see it. On, well, you know, we'll come back to that, I'm sure, when he reappears in this film as well. But th- the character was never lost. He's still a big part of the Losers Club. Maybe that's just me being a bit sentimental. No, I think, yeah, I mean, the, that's the thing. The, the sentiment I can get on board mm. with. and Just not the again, CGI maybe, head. Not CGI head. Uh, it wasn't even CGI. That was uh, just makeup effects. This was back in the nineties. But um, I mean, the the sentiment of uh, Stanley sending the letter and stuff and kind of making that sacrifice. Mm. You know, that's that's cool and and, and everything like that. Uh, and it's maybe not this cool, Jim. No, it's not. It's it's a good it's a good uh, addition to the script. Uh, is what I should, probably should have said. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that. For someone who's a fan of the book, that's so impactful because you're not quite... And maybe it's a structure thing mm. because at the point when Stanley kills himself in the book, you're not... You know, you've seen Pennywise mm. and so forth, but you've never really experienced what the yeah. Losers Club experienced. Maybe now, because we've seen a chapter when we know exactly what they experienced, it's kind of a null point. But him being so terrified that he would rather die than go back makes Pennywise all the more, you know, yeah. builds it up and, and this and this, this final conflict all the more, uh, you know, builds it up to this sort of mythic, you know, yeah. status where people are so terrified of this entity. And it kind of reminds me of like in David Fincher's Alien 3 when in the original cut, the alien was locked away for quite mm-hmm. some time and somebody made the point, it's like, well, how threatening can the thing be when you're able to lock it away? I feel that, you know, yeah. if, if Stanley if Stanley had killed himself and carved it on the wall in his own, written it in the wall in his own blood because he's so terrified, like, oh my God, Pennywise had such an impact. And to kind of remove that makes it go, oh, Pennywise, you know, it's also then slightly problematic when you think about the fact one of the big things that they have one of the big narrative points they have in this that they don't really seek to explore with any conviction 
which they didn't really try to seek to explore even in its chapter one, this whole kind of thing, I don't know what way to put it, this idea of that the people of Derry themselves are secretly, either knowingly or subconsciously complicit in all this, that yeah. they, they don't really, they never really explored it in its chapter one, they don't really explore it really here, but the whole point of the letter is that he kind of talks about that he, he didn't want to come back and he knew that he wasn't, that he knew he was the weakest member of the Losers Club. But the whole point is that once they leave Derry, they forget. So then you have to sit and think of why suddenly have then you been able to remember everything whilst others haven't. And, and this is this is not a fully formed out thought. I just think it's slightly problematic and clunky. But I come back to a point I've made and I'm bored myself even making this point. It becomes an, an a flaw with the structure when you introduce the adults in the second part without introducing them in the first part because it's a trick of cinema or a trick of TV in the TV movie is that you introduce the adults first and then a lot of the stuff sewn through flashbacks. So by the time the adults take over in the part two of the miniseries, you're kind of subconsciously already emotionally engaged with them because you've seen their story. You know who they are. This it's kind of told differently in the fact that okay, it's a case of you've got a, you've got a bigger budget second time round, you can get your bigger cast members in, but it means a lot of those cast members have a lot of heavy lifting to do. Yeah, but I still think it doesn't excuse the kind of the clunky nature in which they then tried to give them that yeah. heavy lifting. Part of me even thinks they could you have even had Mike in it, chapter one. I, I know it's I know it's really easy and it's really easy stick to hit the film with, but I just part of me th- I come back to that point. It doesn't feel like it's a project that was really properly conceived as a part one and a part two. No, I agree totally. I think that uh, you know, I mean, my fear, my my feeling is maybe because Tommy Lee Wallace, you know, director of uh, the miniseries, mm. even said this. You know, he thought that when you got to the adults, it just wasn't as interesting, mm. and. You know, maybe that's maybe that's what the producers of this feared, uh, because they dealt with the kids so effectively, mm. and maybe they were like, okay, well, you know, if we have a similar runtime with only adults, we're going to turn. I, and the thing is, I I kind of disagree. I think that um, there was a way to do the adult half of the story. You know, because the thing is, Richie is kind of brought back. Richie's probably a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Richie. Um, is the only one who kind of, apart from his the ridiculous scar with the statue, um, Richie has a point, uh, you know, has has an a, an open an mm-hmm. opening for Pennywise to attack him, and that now he's revealed to be gay, mm-hmm. and he's ashamed of it. So Pennywise is using this to attack him yeah. in adult form. That worked. That's Which is why totally I think it's probably Richie's character is the one that stands out the most. Absolutely. And I, if you'd have said to me, okay, I have to admit, some of the other actors that are playing the adult alter egos, I don't know. And it was like, for instance, like, um, I, it was afraid when I was kind of going, Jay Roach, isn't it Jay Roach? No, sorry, Jay Ryan. When I was watching Jay, where do I know you from, Jay? And then it was only when I was looking through and I said, it's fucking neighbours. That, <laughs> that's where I know you from. And, you know, all I can say is the person who read it as a young boy, who was a chubby youngster, who sadly didn't turn into a sexy architect. You know, that's Jay Ryan is the person I wish I grew up, I grew up, to, <laughs> up to be. But look, I I think it's, if you just, as I could say, brambly as I am normally, I didn't expect Bill Hader to be the heart and soul of that film, Absolutely. but he is. Yeah, he really is. And but that's the point because that, that's my point is that his his character has been given substance as an adult, yeah. 
whereas Eddie literally has stayed the same. Yeah. You know, he's he's literally married his mum. Yeah. You know, uh, and yeah, I don't know if that's the way he is in the book, but you know, there's it's the same old same old with him. So therefore, you kind of bring the new guy, the old the kid back, and get an extra scar. It's whatever it is. Um, same, you know, Ben hasn't really changed he's still carrying around mm-hmm. his torch for beverly apparently can't remember anything from Derry except beverly because mm-hmm. he keeps the note in um beverly that's love that's yeah. love for you jim that's true um beverly you know kind of hasn't changed she's married uh you know some uh, an abusive male in the way that her father was an abusive male uh they all kind of stay the same so when they come if they were to come back solely as adults mm-hmm. you'd be like eh, you know it's still the yeah. same thing you know just they're just the same character slightly growing up bill Hader, on the other hand gets this new mm-hmm. dimension to him and a new as i say opening for pennywise to come at him because in the tv he, movie isn't it eddie is gay no, nobody's getting the TV movie. I thought he was it not hinted at in in the TV movie. If it was, I it's very subtle because I didn't get that. Maybe I picked it up wrong, so that'll not make the cut. Um, no, yeah, I agree. I think there's there's a depth there to his character that none of the rest of them have. Maybe the closest is Bill, probably in terms of that person that's still carrying around that weight. But it's yeah. it's, that's a good it's, point. it's yeah. not done any in, in it's not really done in an interesting way. And what you see when they arrive in Derry, they're kind of scattered about the place. We kind of see the sequence in the fairground that kind of worked with me with Bill. You kind of get the you get the flashbacks to the the drain scene with adult Bill, but the stuff that didn't work for me is the stuff with Bev. And I'm surprised. I mean, I love Jessica Chastain. Yeah. I think she's an amazing actress. But again, she's on autopilot here. My alarm bells were rung when a film starts bumming and blowing about the amount of blood it uses in a sequence because i remember like hellboy when the reboot as terrible as it was earlier this year was promising us blood and gore like we'd never seen before blood and gore can be scary but you know it also can be really boring as yeah. well and i think I've, you know I've that, se- that sequence didn't work for me with adult bev no not at all and you know that sequence is a perfect example as well too of just ways of completely removing you from mm-hmm. the scene that's unfolding even in real time you know when the the bathroom door is opening and closing and it's her father and it's her husband mm-hmm. and then it's Henry Bars and he says here's Johnny and you just kind of go oh god like you know mm-hmm. we get it this is like th- that was the moment where if that if that scene was grabbing me in any way it was gone same with uh Stanley's head growing legs yeah. and Ritzy, you know quoting from the thing saying you gotta be kidding me did you not at that point wish you could just switch the channel and just watch a thing do you know what i kind of um th- there was a definite it was total impulse but i kind of slapped myself on the head at that i was because I, I when the head came up i was like this is like the thing nobody better say you gotta be kidding mm. me and he said it, and I slapped myself on the head. And then the interesting thing was, like, the, the other night, uh, I was just sort of channel surfing, and the thing was on, and I was just like, my God, what, oh, it stands a, a, test of time what a masterpiece this film is. Despite the, you know, the, the effects still hold up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just, but that's a movie that, you know, in contrast, not, not to say it's the same as a chapter two, but in contrast, that's a movie with just integrity and... Mm-hmm a real focused narrative and story yeah. and feeling 
to go to, it goes through the entire movie it's not it's no humor no irony nothing and well there's humor in the thing well there's humor i suppose there's the you old know, when he he pours the whiskey over the, the computer the yeah, yeah that's a good point yeah that's a good point but it's you know, it's not. It's it's a horror movie then with moments of humor. But but the and thing this, wasn't conceived for like the teenage generation. It was the thing is a horror film for adults. I'm not. See, I'm, not I'm not just saying. I don't. I'm, I don't mean that in a kind of pretentious way. And I'm aware it sounds pretentious, but it was a horror film with guts. It was a horror film that had a kind of firm idea of what it wanted to be. But it wasn't trying to pander for a mainstream. Well, see, that, that I would disagree with. I would say that the thing was made for everybody because okay. it's, it's it certainly it's very... wasn't made for my wife my wife can't stand it not on account <laughs> not in the sense she doesn't like it she just doesn't any as soon as the practical effects start coming on she's like nope i'm out of this in a like she just like, in a, just, in just in a way. grotesque kind of way she's like nope i'm not watching this yeah i mean like that's the thing you know rob botine is a genius he yeah. invented those effects and it's amazing again to go back to chapter two how now that you can do everything you know, it's kind of really all about the imagination, mm-hmm. you know, in a weird way. Well, and coming back, that's why maybe I had a chuckle at that sequence with the, the dog at the doorway. Because maybe because it, it's there, it's a real dog and it's a cutie dog. And I like dogs. I'm, I'm, I'm a doggy person. Well, I'm a, I'm kinophobic, so maybe oh, I just didn't like it. That's, that's, that's why, Jim. It's all these <laughs> secret things. It's because I kind of like, oh, there's a cute dog. And I quite liked it as a joke. But then, you know, the, the dog turns into a Spoiler, well, we're in spoiler territory anyway. The the dog turns into a gribbly, and you're like, oh. See that that that's it for me. And but I have no problem with you know again, just to use your uh, the Kurt Russell in the chess machine okay. uh, as a perfect example. That's a really funny joke. It's a really good indication mm-hmm. of his character. Yeah. You know, it's it does a lot of things, but. I feel like the thing wouldn't be the movie it was that in the um the scene whenever they're all testing they're doing the blood mm-hmm. test if you know the McCready jokes was, if McCready if McCready had you know put the hot uh you know wire down onto the blood and it had spat out the thing and Palmer started turning into the thing and somebody had made a crack in one liner mm-hmm. That's the momentum of a horrific scene gone, and that's what happened time and time and time again in a chapter two when you know Eddie's attacked by the leper and he starts to vomit on him and it plays it seemed like something out of Deadpool, you know, used the same opening yeah. scene. And I was just sitting there going, What are you trying to do? Because I thought a horror film was meant to scare mm-hmm. me. A horror film can a horror film can make me laugh, but it should scare me. On that note, because I do we've talked for a bit, I don't know we'll have to start to wrap things up. But we haven't really talked about Bill Sarsgaard this oh. time. And last week, I want to apologize because I think I said Alexander Sarsgaard. So I, I want to get my Sarsgaard right. It's like, you know, getting the wrong Baldwins. You're going to get in trouble. <laughs> it's not like getting the but wrong Baldwins. <laughs> I, I, I thought he was, he got lost in his own film. Yeah, I mean. He didn't. I, I, whilst <laughs> I love that, I actually liked that. I know you, we've talked about, I quite liked that opening sequence. Although I never yeah. found it scary but then i come back but ne- i've never been scared by either of the two films yeah and well it- the thing is no matter what like you know no matter what uh whether you were scared or not his performance yeah oh, oh yeah I'm, I'm, i don't want to say it's a bad performance i i still think that i come back to that point i think they have made him physically too terrifying 
what right thinking child is going to go within well, six Well, that's kind of dealt maybe, with in the movie. Maybe, well, yeah, I get That's kind of dealt with with the, the little mm-hmm. girl and the little bleachers. So, you know, they, they definitely are aware that he's yeah. absolutely terrifying. I mean, they're absolutely definitely aware that in 2018 mm-hmm. or 2017, whenever this is set, that, you know, kids don't like clowns yeah. anymore. Kids don't, perm- don't go for They're forward. aware of stranger danger. Exactly. That um, sequence in the bleachers is great. It's fantastic, but again, it's ruined because of pretty poor CGI. It's most effective because this is the really good thing. You know, it's a little behind the scenes thing. But when uh, Ali Machetti was designing Pennywise, he had this idea that he would have a sort of lol die and an eye would mm-hmm. wander. And it just so happened by sheer coincidence that Bill Sarsgaard could do, do that physically and practically. And he done this, you know, he does this thing with his lip and he has these very sort of strange mannerisms. He was definitely made to play that character. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's great. You know, he, his his performance on its own is fantastic. But then when you supplement that with very, very ropey CGI. You mean possibly putting his head onto a big spider? Possibly putting his head onto a big spider making his as uh, the honest trailers channel on youtube uh or sorry the screen pitches channel on youtube sort of he's gonna turn into a dolphin every time he's gonna fight a shot which is true he does kind of look like that but there's there's definitely uh times in there where i was like oh bill sarsgaard is he's a great actor you know even in uh, in castle rock you know another stephen king adaptation uh he can clearly pull off the part. You don't need to augment him mm-hmm. with CGI because, as I say, it's just... Oh, well, yeah, he's there. He's remote. he's there. He's fully formed. He inhabits that space as the character. And I agree with you. Like, I I have to admit, I did laugh out loud at the, the spider sequence. It was just... <laughs> it was one of those, like, well, people love his Pennywise. It's like, just, just do him as a spider. Yeah. Just have him as a spider. And have him as this big dribbly, don't do a big spider body. It's like something a two-year-old would draw. Yeah. And it's it's not scary at all. And it's 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 laughably bad. No, CGI. Really Although I did love, one of the things I've always loved, because it reminds me a little bit of Evil Dead, is when people are under the, the power of the dead eyes. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love, there's, there's a sequence with, with Richie. Yeah. Which I thought is probably in that finale sequence, which... It's something you'd see in a superhero film. But it's something you'd see, if you saw that in an MCU film, you'd be embarrassed by it because it's just not up to the level. And consider, I come, look, I'm I'm, going to ramble, but I'm coming to this point. I think horror, if I've I've said this before, and I've said this to you before, if you're looking for proper chills, you're not going to get it from a product delivered by a mainstream studio. All right? I know you're going to look and you're going to disagree with me. (laughs) But... I, I think horror for me is a weird statement. Horror is box office gold. We've seen that over the last few years. You know, low budget films have found an audience. But that doesn't mean I think horror should be a blockbuster. No, I can't I can't so think of a horror blockbuster. I, the last one I was thinking of is something like World War Z or World okay. War Z, as we like to call it here in the UK. Well, you know, no, say not go. World War Z, as I like to call it. And it didn't have any teeth i think at the time when i reviewed it i think i was still doing for cool fm i said it had a severe case of gingivitis because there was just nothing to it there there was no real scare factor yeah and 
this is just the way I feel about it. Chapter two, it's the way I felt about it. Chapter one, it's it's mainstream. Okay, it chapter one clearly had a much smaller budget. They've spent all the money, you know, on it chapter two. But it's when you've pumped that much money into something, you're not gonna get something that has a. I don't. I, when I say nasty, I I want something with a with a bit of bite. Yeah. Well, I feel like I, I get I get what you said. I kind of feel that you know, for, literally throughout history, uh, horror at its best is challenging in the way that yeah. a studio wouldn't let you be challenging. And what it chapter two probably is is a marketing box ticking exercise where it's like okay we you know what's going on in the world now people like nostalgia get as much of that in as you can people like responded Mm -hmm. what's bring out the test scores people like the humor amp it up yeah it's a product by test screening exactly exactly and you know whereas the movies that have really tried you know tested the public consciousness over the last 50 60 years have been things like night of the living dead mm-hmm. and last house on the left films that came from absolutely nothing and didn't have yeah you know a, a, they, they invented the rules but even if you think even if you think when films are made on a limited budget just because you're here you know i'm a carpenter fan if you're gonna you look back at john carpenter's halloween a lot of the film's budget went into just the equipment absolutely. making sure like in i think it was margaret mcgoldrick I think either be the Margaret's what we were talking about it, or you told me what Margaret said when she watched Halloween for the first time. You could you could release that now. Oh, it, it was looks, the fog. It was the fog. The fog was, was it, yeah. you could the, you could look at that now, and it's it stands the test of time because the equipment there they didn't cut corners in the equipment. Oh no, that's that's a very small but important part of it. You need to have the script. You need to have the performances. But I I just I just come back point. It's I I I, I don't know. It's I don't think you're ever going to get something. I know The Conjuring is slightly... But The Conjuring films are made on a micro-budget and they make a shitload of money. Yeah. This is a blockbuster. This, is, this they, is a summer blockbuster in all but name. But even they have become products. Yeah. You know, like you, we, we saw The Conjuring, we saw Insidious, mm. and it was maybe innovative. And then it became, do that yeah. again, do that again. Think of Just do what James Wan did. Exactly. Think of creepy things to do. And I have no doubt, you know, to, to sort of to end more positively because, you know, <laughs> because let's face it, I didn't buy the the, tri- the, the mm. Colin Pennywise a bully to kill him thing. Didn't sell me at all. Do you, but, can I ask you a question? Sure. See the way they finished that with the finale. I know Sarah Jane kind of maybe went overly spoilerific on the TV show, <laughs> kind of talking about that, which is very different from the book. Yeah. But do you think there's a sense, because I wanted to ask this, but I know we're nearly out of time, because Bill Sasgard has said he's up for doing it chapter three. He mm-hmm. wants to do it chapter three, whether it's a prequel or something. But do you think there's a sense with that type of ending? It's almost like a Nightmare on Elm Street style ending, that it leaves it open-ended, that should, you know, five, six years time, you know, the studio says, oh, we need a bit of money here. Disney yeah. can't do everything. Let's you know, get it chapter three. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. It might not be with, you know, James McAvoy and co or Jessica Chastain or anything like that. Yeah. It it might, might, I could see a sort of, uh, I could see an, because, you know, that scene that was deleted from the first mm-hmm. film back in, I think it was the 1800s or something with Pennywise. And they have a rich mythology in the book. There's still explore. stuff you could, there's still stuff you could go through with the book. Yeah, there's a lot in the book that you could go through. 
Um, I, would you I want would to go through it again? Uh, no, no, because because as I, I was going to say there, like you know, I didn't buy the the vinyl the final victory over Pennywise at all, and what it affirms to me is that you know horror horror will something innovative will happen with horror again it always does yeah, it's going to be the light keepers hmm, i don't think so but like uh there you know, i have no doubt you know, wes craven said himself that you know he gets told you know a dozen times every decade that the horror genre is dead and that's usually right before somebody mm-hmm. gets a really good idea and reinvents it again you know he did it he did it three times um and i think that uh you know we're, we're probably due a horror renaissance because well, we've i think run we're in course. a horror horror renaissance i think we are because you know you've had the likes of get out i know that's a couple of years now us i loved and there's a few like keepers i'm holding out for i i don't think we're in a bad period for no, our, no. I, I, but i do think that when it's films like The Conjuring, when it's films like It are taking the headlines for a golden age for horror, that I, I come back to that point. If you're a horror fan, that's not where you want to go get your fix. Yeah, it's you, an interesting. It's thing a cheap to, thrill. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's it's an interesting thing to sort of listen to. You know, I, I've been listening to you know Ross History of Horror podcast mm-hmm. and stuff in the car, and you know when you talk about the sort of golden age of horror films in the seventies and eighties, you had this this run of films that you know and you had the you had pieces and you had uh you know some of the jallos and so forth uh you know graduation day and final exam and so forth and mutilator they come and go and are fairly standard fair but you had a run after run of really good classic horror movies um i feel like insidious will probably go down as a turning point in horror conjuring will and everything after that has become, you know, sort yeah. of samey. Get Out was the exception, of course. Mm-hmm. There always are exceptions. But I feel that, like, we're hopefully... What I kind of hoped for in Halloween 2018 was we were in the, in the revival of a slasher yeah. sort of thing. And somebody would do something new with that. Um, looking at Black Christmas, I don't think we're going to get it. But... You know, one day, someday soon, the horror genre is going to be reinvented. And I think we'll look back at it chapter two with even less reverence than we do now. Yeah, well, hey, Jim, you could, things could be worse. You could be watching Scream season three on wow. via YouTube. And there, there, there's something, you know, that was, Wes Craven uh, that probably, was, uh, God that, rest him. God, Leo McGuigan, biggest screen fan in the world, didn't even make it through that. I've never seen Leo turn off anything. It's pretty bad. I think I've seen two. I, I watched two episodes and gave up. I want to ask you two last questions. One of them is, you know, now we're getting teased that we're not going to see a supercut. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, we don't know whether it's going to be a six-hour version of both films just kind of put together or what's going to be a new version of the film that's told like the book with, you know, back and forth, maybe in around clock and around five hours. Would you be up for that as just another cash cow for to, to, would just another cash cow to get your money? I would certainly. I mean, I would. I think that uh, I would as a as a bit of an editor myself. I would be very interested to see how that would play out because what that might ultimately do away with is the unnecessary parts of it. Chapter two. If they if they go, then again, it is kind of a rehash. It's mm-hmm. even more that you say it's a it's a big budget remake of mm-hmm. the miniseries. 
because if it juxtaposes those scenes. Do you know what I want to see? Joe, you know who is the man for the job? Whoever, I would love to see some of them. I've only heard people talk about them. I got talking to someone actually in Venice about this last week who had seen one. I'm not sure where or whether or not they might have been talking nonsense. Tober Grace, do the way he does his yeah. edits of films. I want to see him edit. That's right. He I does want the... to see those two films well, edited. I, I mean, that's a, the amazing thing. I, I, re, I recently rewatched the television cut of Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to think, because that, that was actually, there was a lot of that there that was the um, was intended to be the original cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, an editor came in and completely restructured. And you think, God, a movie can be totally mm-hmm. damned or saved in the edit. And maybe that's what, you know, I, I, it's certainly not going to bring anything new to the table because it's going to be footage we've yeah. all seen. But I think structurally it could work. It would be a rehash of the 90s series, yeah. but it could work. It so could really work. it's what you're saying, Jim, it's got your money. It's got my money. It's got your money. And then my last... Anything horror has my money. I own, uh, you know, Driller Killer and... That's uh, okay. I own a lot of Zombie Lake. I own a lot of that. That's okay. Movies. I have I have a Blu-ray off this stuff, so I, I <laughs> I'm I'm not one to judge. And my last question, and it's you're talking there about being a renaissance of horror. Why do you think we're seeing now a renaissance for the Stephen King back catalogue? Because we're going to have next month. We're going to see Doctor Sleep. We've had you know it has been out. We saw Pet Cemetery, which was all right. It was a serviceable film. It wasn't anything outstanding. Um, why do you think right now it is do you think it's just a result of the box office success of it or do you think there's a reason why we are seeing so many Stephen King works now? Well, I think to me Stephen King kind of never goes away you know um, what is like Michael Myers? <laughs> maybe um, but he's uh, I can't really I just realised we, we haven't even mentioned his terrible cameo in... oh, or Peter Vardanovich's yeah um, yeah well the I less said we, about we, that, we both think it's terrible. We'll move along. Yeah. We'll move swiftly along. No, I think that, like you know, as I say, Stephen King doesn't really ever go away. Um, he's always right there in the public consciousness. From his old novels, mm. the new stuff hasn't really yeah. hit home. Uh, you know, Doctor well, Sleep would be the last one that I've read, but then I suppose it's kind of biased because it's a sequel to The Shining. I yeah. quite liked it. It's yeah. not outstanding under the dome was a better better in the simpsons you know yeah. <laughs> but, but like you know so i feel i feel like he never goes away he he's always kind of the top one of the top names when it comes mm. to horror um i think that uh once you know once it came out as david fincher says every studio phoned, phoned their offices on monday and said do we have a do we have a clown script and then that became do we have Stephen king mm-hmm. script Everything that he possibly could have, you know, option that could be optioned by his was being optioned. Uh, I think Doctor Sleep is kind of an aspect of that, but probably more an aspect of the nostalgia. Yeah, you know, of going back to the nostalgia. I think that's a weird Shining. one because you think that King hated the source. Exactly, King that, hated that, the that, Shining. Yeah, that really. But could. yet, this feels like it's going to be a sequel to. The film, yeah, it's using all the same yeah. set pieces, and uh, they've recreated a lot of the hotel. They've recreated yeah. a lot of the scene. I thought they were just reusing the scenes, but no, they've they've reshot them. And yeah. and because uh, it's um, God, I can't, it's the director who did Gerald's game, Mike Flanagan. Gerald's game, no, it's Gerald's game. Gerald's game yeah. and Hush. And yeah, who, a filmmaker I like. I'm absolutely. What, uh, that, that's my thing. I think like if Doctor Sleep, uh, if a sequel to The Shining was being planned, I would be hesitant. 
I think if it's in the hands of Mike Flanagan, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what, this will be good. Do you know what I'm, it's, it's the fact. Ewan McGregor, I'm a bit kind of uncertain about the casting because you could either get really good Ewan McGregor or you could get Obi-Wan. Ewan McGregor. That. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, Obi-Wan just trying to do the impression, impersonation of Alec Guinness. That's, mm. that's the bad Ewan McGregor. But it's the presence of Rebecca Ferguson. I just think she's... And I just yeah, want, when I see... Because I've read the book, I think she's a perfect bit of casting mm. for that character. But the 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 book of Doctor Steve is a bit clunky. Again, well, I come back. The, it's, my, a bit, it's a bit clunky. That's my thing with Stephen King. And I, I, I talked to Brian Mulholland at uh, Film Devour about this. You know, I feel like a really great Stephen King adaptation also needs an editor. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like his most successful adaptations you know, Dead Zone and uh, Shawshank Redemption and so forth. Christine. Christine. You know, they, uh, what they do is they take what's very core mm-hmm. elements of the book that really, really work and they get structure to accentuate that mm-hmm. and they do away with everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think Mike Flanagan might well do that. Uh, and I'm kind of hoping that he does because it's got it's got a lot of potential. I think mm-hmm. like I wasn't excited about it until I saw the trailer, and I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm a believer now." Is that just because it uses the music again from The Shining, that which gets me every time? That was it. That that little last cue mm-hmm. at the end, I was like, "Oh God!" And and you know what? It's funny, not just to sort of bring this back, but in terms of nostalgia, sometimes nostalgia seems really forced, and sometimes nostalgia just really, really works. That feels like a tribute mm-hmm. that really really worked and doesn't rely on it but just give us it right at the perfect time in that trailer and i was like oh yeah i'm on board i'm mm-hmm. totally on board yeah we'll have to wait and see and i think on that note we, we shall bring things to a close so i think we'll agree it's a mixed bag for it chapter two i think weirdly i think i'm more positive about it than i think i'm you. just more ups- I'm, I'm just more disappointed you're just upset yeah that's it I, as i said in the review i'm not angry i'm disappointed and uh I just feel like it's, to me, it's a missed opportunity. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see what you think when you have a second view of it. I've only seen it once. I'm not in a rush to watch it again. And I'm going to be honest about this. It's largely down to watching it with audiences now. I'm getting grumpy. That is why I go to film festivals and I, this is why I am Mr. Pretentious deep down. I go to Venice because I can watch a film and audiences will be well behaved. Would you, would you foresee, like, I, I, I recently listened to a thing uh, on YouTube of audience reactions to Avengers when like, you know, Thor appeared in Wakanda and the audience stood up whoop, and whoop, cheered whoop. and went ballistic. That would kill me. I think that like that would have, but but part of me wants to sort of experience. No, do you know what? Atmosphere. I I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with an audience that is so engaged in to watch their what they're watching on the big screen. This is going to end up another whole segue. Uh, you know, <laughs> screw you trying to wrap things up. I have <laughs> I have no problem with people that are so engaged in something that they're watching on screen that they just want to cheer or they want to get up yeah, and totally. stand or. You know, I've talked about this before. You know, we, we saw, whether you like this or not, but, you know, Bill Taylor and his incident with The Force Awakens where he stood up at the unfortunate event <laughs> and shouted bullshit at the screen. Part of me <laughs> applauds that. that. You know, there's other sequences like in Avengers Endgame where people just, when we finally get to see Avengers Assemble, when you hear those lines, people just cheering and shouting. I don't mind that. That doesn't bother me now. Would I really want to watch, you know, obviously, on the same thing, just because I'm a hypocrite, 
if you know someone was going to see the greatest showman for the thousandth the hundred thousandth time and was singing and dancing along to it, I'd be like, Oh, that would probably bother me. But what really pisses me off now, and it's become a, which I do not understand why people pay money. They pay money to go and watch a film and then sit in their phone or in the case of when we were watching Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark here last week, they there was teenage girls that were just throwing stuff about the cinema. There was a girl she had a bap. You know, if you if you listen to our last if you listen to the last podcast you'll hear, <laughs> my darling wife was there. She ordered a Fanta. She took the top off because she doesn't want to drink it with a straw. And halfway through the screen, we heard a plunk. It's like, what is that? She lifted out this huge big bit of bread that someone had oh brought. My God. And it's just like, why that? You see, come back to the point. It's why would you pay the money to be so disengaged by? If you think it's crap, you can vote with your feet. You can leave. See, that's my. Th- that's exactly my thought. I I remember I went to see Blade Runner twenty forty nine like the fourth time uh, with Sergian, and we're sitting in the Omniplex in Lisburn, and there was a girl on her phone, and the opening crawl came up, and it told you all about the replicants, and it told you all about mm-hmm. the you know the war and so forth. She missed it all and turned around to her boyfriend. Said, what did that say? And he said, "Oh, it was just saying about these replicants. What are replicants? They're like robots." What are like slaves? Like no, no, no they're they're kind of like they they rebel. And she went, nah, I'm out. I'm just back on the phone and spent. And it's like, oh, why did you come? Like, do you know, I'm gonna come back to. I think this is campaign. Bandaflix is gonna get behind now. We're gonna start a thing. We talked about this last week, and I think we're gonna take this in all seriousness. Whether it becomes the Odeon, the movie house, I don't think it's ever been a thing at the QFT. Maybe the Odyssey, where you have Wanker Friday. Do the way you have Half Price Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So you have Wanker Friday. So <laughs> if you want to go to the cinema and you just want to sit in your phone, you want to throw stuff, you want to sit and make fart noises, or you want to do whatever you want to do to be a complete twat while you're watching a film, you even do it slightly cheaper since it's Wanker Friday. So for a fiver, you can go, you can be as annoying, you can listen to your phone, answer your phone during the screenings, but just leave the rest of the week. Well, do you think, do you think uh, simultaneous releases would get rid of it? Because I, th- I, I kind of wonder, because I know they've done it on certain films, they did it with Feeding England and so mm-hmm. forth, where it's released in every format at the exact same time. So if you could watch, like, because I, you know, you and I both mm-hmm. love the cinematic experience. Of one, I want to go in with the, I want to see the lights come down. I want to have the big sound yeah. and all this here. That's a beautiful shared experience that I don't want to get rid of. But if anybody wants to sit at home and not go through that and just kind of text an idly chat, they can do that in the comfort of their own home. I don't have a problem with simultaneous releases. I don't. My problem is probably where you get logistically, like somewhere like Northern Ireland, where, say, like the Irishman is going to be released. Say hypothetically, take away then if it was going to be released. Well, it is going to be released on Netflix, DVD, and cinema at the same time. I would want to watch that on the cinema, no doubt. And hopefully, we're going to get a chance later this year. But it might be because I have to drive 80, 90 miles to go see it because it might be only one cinema in the Northern Ireland screening it where if you're in London you could see it on the day in maybe 15, 20 so that's the only thing for me that's where I think it's a good thing and a bad thing but I I really don't understand I don't get why people pay money to go in and treat it and I don't I think treat that space worse than they would their own living room absolutely I agree I I just don't understand I'm, I'm grumpy old man and I was. This is this is in all seriousness, right? This, I was thinking about this because my lovely wife and I were trying to do the vegan thing. Well, we're not going full vegan. We're just kind of being kind of lazy vegans. You know, I still eat meat 
when I'm when I'm when I'm not around her and at the, and at the weekends, right? Well, hopefully she doesn't listen to the no, podcast. She, no, she 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 won't. She refused to watch a TV show and refused to watch listen to the podcast. But I was watching Jimmy Oliver last night, and this and I'm sad saying this. I'm being quite open about it. I want to be as positive and enthusiastic about cinema as he is about food when he's making food. But in the last couple of months. As it just seems to be getting that you go to cinema, not every time, but when you're going to cinema now, we went to see Angel Has Fallen here a couple of weeks ago. And, I'm, and it sounds like I'm, it's specifically the audience. It's not. I've been to other cinemas where there was people who just chatted the whole way through. We went to see Aladdin at the movie house. People chatted the whole way through. And it's just a case of, oh, I, you're you're making the, the thing that is this, this place for me. Like we were talking about the Mark Cousins documentary. Mm-hmm. Um on the TV show and he kind of talks about how the cinema was respite from the troubles mm. that that two hours whatever it was escapism that's what that is for me which where I go I, that's where I go cinemas where other people have other things cinemas where I go to get my head shard mm-hmm. but it seems it's coming really you're coming to cinema and you're actually just getting more annoyed no absolutely I agree and I went to see The Good Boys with Liam McGuigan and I think I kind of need to watch the film again because I hated it but I think I hated it because of mm. the crowd I think that it probably deserves a second screen. And there have been countless times in my life where I'm just going, why do you pay? And you're do you know what I've started? fifty or whatever it is to sit. Yeah. F- what you could do in a park bench for free. Do you know what I've started to do now? And it's, I'm sure other cinemas do it, but the Odeon do it here definitely. They have once a week for every release an audio described screen. Mm-hmm. And so just the subtitles are on it. They're very few people go to it that's a point and i've started going because we went to see good boys and it was audio described and there was one at you shouldn't it was there was one at six and there was one at seven saying well, that's a bit weird and we went in it was like oh really sorry man that's the audio described one um do you want to go for the seven o'clock one i was like no that's fine you know i watch subtitles at home i watch films when i'm watching my lovely wife's in bed she likes a bit of silence so i usually put the tv down as low as i can and then put the subtitles on doesn't bother me. You forget you're watching subtitles, but the screens there's there's hardly anyone there. That's how we saw. But see, that that's that's a great idea. I don't think we should have to go to. No, no, no. This is why Bandaflix were getting behind Wanker Friday. So I mean, okay. it means if you want to go and be a twat and wreck everybody else's cinema experience, you, I don't know. You have to have like a vetting process. Like I don't know, as you're going in, you know, like you give you scenarios. What do you do? Think fast. What are you doing? They're like, no, no, no. You have to come back to cinema on Friday. It's like, no, 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 no. Let me see your phone. No, you've been tweeting. It's, it's funny. Like I, I, I have such integrity. I've turned people away from my own films from these types. Like, there was a, some uh, people in uh, work who were like, oh, great. Yeah, we'll come down and see your film. We're going to get a wee carry out. And I was like, no. No. Do you get a carry out and you want to bring them to the cinema? I'll send you a link. <laughs> Go to the cinema on Friday. Wanker Friday. I'm telling you, it's going to be the campaign. Look, on that overly long attempt at a finale <laughs> so um we'll, we'll say it again so thank you very much jim thank you very much thank you very much to the audience for hosting this hope you've enjoyed listening let us know what you think of our new campaign for wanker friday for the cinemas <laughs> and we will Can start we do an ad campaign i'll direct them all I, i'm gonna i'm gonna i think i just want to create like do like one of those like can i old harry enfield style kind of <laughs> videos that kind of like the kind of woman know your place kind of things that kind of that's the vibe i want to go with our wanker friday I love it. And I want to make cinema. I want. Do you know what? To steal Donald Trump or to paraphrase, I want to make cinema great again. 
And that's how we're going to do it by starting off with Wanker Fridays. So so leave it there. I'm going to make hats, red hats and everything. <laughs> but say no more. So on that note, uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. But for now, until then, goodbye. 